This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hi, I'm Hardik Vaidya. You're listening to Jamsters. This podcast is about stories from the world of entertainment, media, content and events. Every episode I'll be joined by some of the best in business, whether they're artists, content creators, filmmakers, writers, founders, CEOs, thought leaders, it could be anyone. If they have stories, I'll bring them to you. Join me in listening to my brand new podcast, Jamsters, on Epilog Media and all your favorite podcasting platforms. My guest today has been in the front row seat of the evolution of events business in India for over 25 years. He's one of the key figures who's made some of the most iconic event intellectual properties possible in India. You name it and you will see his name somewhere on that event or that project. From events to content creation, he's doing it all. Shaju Ignatius likes to don many hats. Welcome to Jamsis Podcast, Shaju, and thanks for doing this. Thank you, Hardik. It's a pleasure to be here. There are so many things that you're doing and I want to unpack them for our listeners. And I, in fact, even want to go on a journey with you as well to understand uh, 1995 or 1994, that's where your journey began in the events business, is it? That's right. The January of 1995. So what got you into this in the first place? So, uh, of course, I mean, when, when the career path was being set up, there was no event management on the radar by far, right? In fact, there was no way, not even entertainment on my radar. I was hoping to get into the travel and tourism business or, or actually get to fly <laughs> from a conventional <laughs> thought where people say I want to be a pilot. And then I said, okay, maybe I should be in the travel trade. So I went and did my IATA course uh, in basic and then got to the travel and trade business. I was with Damane Airways for a bit. And then subsequently said, yaar, let me get into something else, which is which was the sunrise industry then way back in 94, 93, 94, the advertising business. Mm-hmm. So uh, post the, the travel space, I got into advertising with an agency called Forecast Advertising, where a couple of my primary verticals were pharma and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, my background of events is that, you know, some of us end up doing college events and, and you know, I was the secretary of my society. So I used to conduct events in the building and, and you know, the college fest, I was very active in it. So when the entertainment business came, I said, this is good. Let me pick this up. So I was managing the account for 20th Century Fox then. Mm-hmm. And a movie called Speed was being launched. I don't know if you remember the iconic Keanu Reeves right? Which I think to date, I must have seen it 100 times plus because of <laughs> my career path changed with that. So, so we were handling what we call the ATL for that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what BTL meant at that time, right? Way back in 94. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was an event then where a winner, there was a promotion which the company ran and the winner gets to blow up a bus, just like how in the film, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in a good old film city, a, a large setup and, and, and the winner came in and he pressed a button and there was a little, what you call, well-curated blast. And in the evening, we had the premiere, which was a beautiful, well-attended premiere. And I see this bunch of people walking around with walkie-talkies and in a matter of control. And it's, I found it very interesting to say, who are these guys? And I find out they say they work for a company called Viscraft. Hmm. I said, okay, sounds good. And I said, that seems like an interesting work to do, but I didn't think of the profession. And within a week's time, Hardik, I see an ad in the papers, a small little ad, but it caught my attention because it said, join us and work will be a party. A oh, wow. walk-in interview. So I said, hey, this is a calling, as you say, right? Hmm. I walk into the office in, I, I very clearly remember on Bandra Hill Road, a first floor, small little office. It was actually a, a one bedroom hall convert into an office. I walk mm-hmm. in there. Uh, I wait for some time. I, I get to be interviewed by my godfather now, but then uh, the first time I met him was Viraf Sarkari. Right. And uh, that interview went into a very interesting conversation where why, what, how. And he said, hey, uh, could you work on a project plan for us and come back to me with, with like a second round for a meeting, right? I said, fair. Remember those were years and I'm going back way back to 94 end, right? Where mm-hmm. there were, forget computers and, and, and lab, mobiles, right? There was nothing to even look at. So I took a piece of paper, wrote down my plan or thought. I went back to him. He probably liked what I did and what he saw. He said, can you join? I said, cool. So he said, when? I said, I'll need a month's notice period and maybe in a couple of weeks. He said, no, I need to join you from next week. 
I said, uh, well, <laughs> that's a that's a fast track. But yes, I did manage in a couple of weeks at least. So January 16, 1995 is etched in my memory. That's the day I joined Viscraft. And there began my journey into the crazy but good mad world of event management. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's a, that's a very, very long run. And, uh, and, and I think all these guys have been, and now that includes you as well, uh, the people who've sort of laid the foundation of what the events business here in India is. But you actually specialized into something even more niche. Uh, you did not sort of technically end up doing like the regular corporate events and uh, the weddings, probably. You became like an IP specialist. Uh, and maybe you were even termed as the awards specialist in the events and business too. Um, uh, walk us through that. Like why, why did that, or was it like a byproduct of what you were anyways doing? Or were the kind of projects that were coming your way? Or, or was it that you were actively looking out for these opportunities? No, no. Frankly, I just went with the flow. Like I told you, there was not even entertainment, forget event management on my career path, right? So when this came up, it just felt a nice extension beyond what I was doing in advertising, right? And it was vibrant, it was exciting. I was probably a 21-year-old boy at that time, right? With, with a couple of years of basic hands-on experience. So I said, hey, this seems to be an interesting path. Let me go with the flow. And at Viscraft at that time, I happened to be probably at the right place, right time. So every possible event which came my way, I took it on, whether it was a corporate event, whether it was uh, even a wedding. I did weddings those years, Hardik, I must tell you. Mm-hmm. Concerts and subsequently IPs. So I, I, I did birthday parties. I've done Hawaiian theme parties. I've done, if I may <laughs> say, I've done a dollhouse theme party for a very, very <laughs> niche HNI that time as well, right? At the Taj Ballroom, mind you. Okay. So, so we've done crazy stuff, including one of the biggest weddings then, uh, Mr. Baracha, esteemed mm-hmm. diamond merchant and, and you know, right. film financer. His son's wedding at what is now the, the dome, which was the NSCI stadium at that time. So, mm-hmm. so that was one of the biggest weddings done in that decade. So I'd done all that. But what happened is, be working closely with Viraf helped me get exposure to large scale production, which was his expertise. Mm-hmm. So whether you call it the Filmfare Awards and, and the multiple, the Z Cines and, and, you know, the Sansi Awards, uh, the concert Femina, business, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Femina Miss India. And then the concert business, because, you know, that was the time when probably apart from DNA networks who were probably the trendsetter, Viscraft was the only other company in the country who probably explored the live concert business. So, I was fortunate to be there for the first large concert, which we did called the Deep Purple Concerts. Right. Which actually led us to our most iconic. And I think to date, I still hold it as the most spectacular concert of this country, the Michael Jackson concert in 1996. That's amazing. That's amazing. So imagine as a 22 year old, you're, you're lead managing and producing the biggest concert of this country, right? It just set the bar high, not just for me or the company, but for the industry. And, and that exposure set us up to a global, global standard of production, right? So since then, constantly Viraf and me and our teams, we always look for what else can we do to take the next level. So I kind of drifted into the large production and the IP business from there. Interesting. And I think from setting such a high benchmark for yourself, what were probably those key lessons or skill sets that you've sort of carried through your career? Because I also understand and I'm always of this perspective that your initial foundation uh, into anything that you do really sets you up for what will come next while you can definitely evolve and do a lot of things. What were some key things that you still hold dearly today? What I classically call a master checklist. <laughs> okay. And, and again, learned, learned from the Godfather, which and me and my colleagues picked up and, and constantly with every colleague I've had subsequently, whether in the previous organization I worked for or in my own setup enterprise, the Ignite Enterprise, I first tell them, learn to create your checklist and your timelines, without which you're not set to even start figuring out what the event is all about, forget about implementing, you know, and, and this, I kind of uh, quote how we as event managers are as good as pilots, if not better, you know, because when, when, when you enter an aircraft, you know, Hardik, do you normally get to see the pilot? You meet the person at the airport security, right? Then you meet the person right. who's taking your baggage, the, the check-in counter, you're, you're, you're waiting for the boarding, you're, you meet the staff there, you, you meet the, the cabin crew. You probably hear the voice of the captain sometimes. Hmm. Hmm. But what he tells you is that, welcome on board, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be flying from A to B, so many hours. He probably comes in and says a few lines about where you're flying into, what's the weather there. 
and at the end he says thank you for flying with us hope you had a great journey hope to see you soon that's pretty much what i see as a as a conventional good manager or an event manager does right you got to give an experience which is safe and secure for your audience for your brand for your customers most of the time you're behind the scenes you're not necessarily fr- out there front in front of your audience or your customer mm-hmm. but if you can seamlessly make sure every part is put into place hence the the pilot has to log in multiple hours before he actually given control of being a co-pilot and then a pilot similarly right. event manager needs to have his checklist by heart by the by the point if that is done and to date i still do that the moment i start with any client or any brief or any project which i'm in creation mode i start with pen and paper on what is it that is required the what when where how why once i have that in place then i think i know okay now let's take step 1 or step 2 and that has always helped me in in my journey throughout whether it was events whether it's production whether it's content in which you manage it i recently uh, read a book uh, by dr atul gavande um he's a surgeon in the us uh, his book is called checklist manifesto uh-huh. um it just sort of reminded me of all the things that you've told me about uh, the pilot checklist as well because they have a rigorous manual and when the when the stress occurs and it obviously occurs in those high pressure situations which is about literally life and death for them uh, luckily that's not for us uh, in most of the cases in the business um they mentioned about uh, have you seen the movie sully yes of course right so you know that just really takes me back to that particular episode where he had the checklist he knew what to do in spite of that stressful situation but because he was able to navigate he was able to clock in the hours like you said uh, it was according to people a tumultuous right but he was able to actually take it so calmly because he knew what he wanted to do so true and and so if i may continue with what i was trying to tell you about you know what is it that i share with uh, prospective students or colleagues is that to be an event manager is pretty much common sense management right you you got to figure out the right things to do and just execute it but what makes you a great event manager is something like what sally's story is right that when a crisis occurs are you able to switch off from autopilot and take control in your hands mm. and and that's what i i look forward to doing or sharing with with collaborators or colleagues is that from being a regular a good event manager how can you be a brilliant manager is only when you move beyond your comfort zone and are able to do, execute a plan your plan c if required okay so according to you then there is always for any project that you consider which is an ip or for a corporate event for any other event uh, according to you there is a basic framework that goes into any event there are particular inputs that go and they are defined is that is that what you're saying because a checklist would work with a certain set of parameters absolutely right whatever you do and, and in fact an extension of an event i mean whether it's the hospitality partner you have or it's a travel partner you have or even the talent and his technical team each one if their checklists are met with you already half the job done then it's about that particular action for that 1 hour or 3 hour or a 7 hour event which you have to kind of implement on but for you it always begins first on paper in terms of identifying um what is uh, the final output that you would look at and what would go into doing it so is that is that how you would generally work uh, for any project whether it's content creation or whether that's creating an ip ideally i mean i i can say from a personal point of view that's what has worked for me and what has always helped me kind of uh, lead successful campaigns or projects as well because you know there's a classic line Uh, the classic word actually visiving what you see is what you get so if i can see on paper what i'm planning to kind of achieve it's it's a beautiful uh, feeling when you see the completion of that in real you know you you've done the mentions that you've given about the kind of ips you've created the femina miss india and film fair and all these projects do you think that in spite of the multiple moving parts of a project like this you were still able to build on a certain checklist even for these kind of complex projects oh yeah yeah absolutely in fact those are the ones which actually taught me even further and extra there would be checklist pages running into probably 7 10 12 pages so oh, so okay. correction so femina miss india we were essentially servicing it's a times of india property right been there for Got many it. years much before we kind of jumped into the space but uh, being with with viska that time you know we were kind of the first into produce or manage femina miss india's and film fair awards and some sort of other awards what led us to make that why don't we create our own ip in terms of you know where we can kind of design and produce what we want to finally and that's how ipa was born 
when I was with Viscraft. So every plan or thought, even in this creation stage, is always helpful to have your checklist or vision plan in place. Hmm. And when you wanted to sort of you know explore the space a little more, uh, why did you sort of incline more towards IPs and not towards actually doing uh, servicing clients for a corporate uh, project, for example? W- what was uh, this versus that moment for you? Have you seen or heard of the the, the very very famous old show called the Star Trek? Series? Yes, of course. <laughs> so somehow I've always thought or or believed that I'm a Star Trekker for life, right? The classic mm. opening line: "Seeking new worlds and new civilizations, where boldly go, where boldly you can go, where no man has gone before." For so, sure. I, I, as a Star Trek, I constantly keep looking for newer action ideas, challenges, stressful sometimes, definitely. But I kind of always look for beyond and more. Hence, uh, you know, the IP space or the large production space is always uh, unique and innovative at every stretch. Not that the corporate events or weddings don't have its challenges, but I just feel that after a certain time, it's a certain format you are in. Uh, but, so it's but repetitive, according to you. Pardon me. So that's repetitive, according to you. In some form, like I said, it's not that it's not exciting or or not innovative, but the format is the same. Most probably, you're in a banquet hall, you're in a large space, but you are exploring beyond. But when you're creating an IP, you're going into a vertical beyond just an event, right? You're going to a consumer or a TG who's far beyond a certain set of people. It could be two hundred people or two thousand people. You're you're going to the multitude. You're going to a universe where your IP will be relatable to that audience, and which is also what led me from. events to experiential marketing to tv content and finally you know what you call the feature film business as well i kind of went with that flow that every piece of content which i created was increasing the universe in which i was in interesting and when you say that you were in the or you are in the content business right now but back then uh, ips creating newer projects uh, creating new content verticals uh, creating the new universe like you mentioned um so beautifully uh, did it come with an understanding that this is more a financial upside opportunity or was it just pure uh, passion and exploring new areas i mean there has got to be some balance is that right or what was your take on it so you know something which i didn't know what i was doing at that time but i was just loving it it was more out of passion uh not necessarily the monetary gain if i may say so if that was the case i would have stuck to a particular vertical and just ideally would have minted it out as well right hardik <laughs> <laughs> for sure and 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 currently i'm reading a book which i think you might know of ikigai right the japanese way of life i'm i'm exactly reading the same book okay this is interesting conversation okay super <laughs> so so the classic case right that that's what's your passion can you convert into a profession hmm. what's your passion can it can it be a mission for the people at large or for the universe and of course if it could be your vocation then great so i just realized that what i have done over these last 25 years is something which i have some form have been living the ikigai life without knowing it that i have loved every day of my life because i have loved what i'm doing in fact to date i'm living that world of joiners and workers a party which i told you about hmm so it's not a job i do every day the day it becomes a job i don't know what i'll go through so i'm living every day with with a with an excitement of hey what's new today what did i kind of leave back yesterday which i can kind of improvise today so that's the life you know i'm i'm curious to understand when you look at a certain idea uh, a certain uh, ip that's already existing in the market which may not be doing well and maybe you want to acquire it or uh, possibly do it even in a better way what do you really look at what elements do you consider when you are creating a new ip or acquiring an ip so there are two three very very key pointers and not in any necessary preference first of all of course you have to have a unique proposition right i mean you also I have to think that okay, is it practical? But it has to be unique in its proposition. Does a consumer exist? And when I say consumer, it has to be a, a, a decently good enough number. As good as that consumer, is there a brand to back you up as well? And that's where the monetization or or you know the commercialization come of it. Because when a few years back until now, people used to say we have to do IPs, let's create IPs, we'll recover our money over a few years. and somewhere down the line my experience has taught me that if you can't crack it in year 1 it will always be an uphill task 
So I look for creating properties, IPs, or if I'm collaborating or acquiring something, I look at it that are they breaking even if not making money at least? Because then you're actually going to be able to kind of churn this on a long term. Otherwise, there are so many IPs which which have happened and you know in a year or two and it goes down slide and then it's over and done. So two or three key import, important quotes that uniqueness, the consumer and the brand required to back it up and then the longevity of it. So did the festival, Enchanted Valley Festival happen uh, with the same thought uh, or was it just passion because of music um, and you knew that maybe, you know, music is always going to explode. It's still not, uh, or at least back, I think in 2013, right? That's when it started, EVC? Yeah, yeah. It, that, that was a beautiful dream once again. You know, we were coming on the back of very, very successful, the Sunburn Festival and, and the Bacardi NH7. Uh, and, and I was kind of uh, privy to the sunburn because, you know, those the years when I was with Percept as well at its inaugural year. At that time, I was consulting with Ambi Valley, uh, you know, in terms of his brand marketing, events plan and all. So uh, uh, my collaborative partner at that time, Shovin Shah, I remember he was very, very passionate about EDM and techno and trance, which frankly, even to date, I'm not really sure. Yes, I knew the top five or top ten, you know, you know the David Guetta's and... and uh, uh, and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know the deep trance and techno. I didn't know so many subsets exist, right? Which which Chauvin was deep down there. He was out there. He had gone to all the festivals, probably most of the festivals in the world. And mind you, to date, I've not gone to a single large-scale festival in the world, whether it's Tomorrowland or any of those. Wow. Right? <laughs> but okay. I knew... I knew the topography because Ambi Valley is such a beautiful setup there, right? I knew we could create a, a, a world-class destination festival, which didn't exist in India at that time. Uh, Chauvin had a dream of setting up a camping festival, which we could afford to do in Ambi Valley. Mm. So what I did was I kind of studied a couple of festivals and I created a, a, what you call a work in progress audiovisual that I think this is what a festival looked like. So remember I said, Visivig, what you see is what you get. I kind of created a three-minute audiovisual and that audiovisual led me on to kind of improvise constantly. So one is I said, we should not be just one more EDM festival, Shavin. We should be a multi-genre fest that three years down the line or five years down the line, if EDM is not the flavor of the season, if it's rock and roll or if it's indie pop back or, or Bollywood back. So let's create multiple stages with multiple music genres. So there's something for everyone in some form. Camping, of course, was a uniqueness and the, and the environment of a destination festival set the bar for us completely. We had crazy, we had, I think, what, 15, 20,000 people at the inaugural edition, which was unheard of. People from Bombay, Pune, and, 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 you know, Gujarat came in and they had the time, they had the time of their life in that sense. So I think two, three elements worked together, Hardik, uh, in that factor for us. So, you know, while you mentioned the names of and the likes of uh, Tomorrowland and Sensation and stuff like that, uh, in terms of the evolution of the events that currently exist in India and these kind of experiences, the music festivals and, and various other festivals and experiences that exist, how far or are we in terms of matching that expectations, uh, you know, from a global standpoint? So from a, from a global standard point, if you look at technology and if you look at the consumption, we are pretty much on par right now and in some places probably better. I mean, there is nothing better than the consumption numbers in India, right? Mm -hmm. You give a good product and you know our population is actually our strength. Mm -hmm. uh, so so whether, you, whether you pick up the Sudburns or the Bacardi NA7 or EVC at that time, you know, we were pretty much on par with, with global standards of production, global standards of content creation and marketing as well. Given, given the next couple of years where we kind of come back to some normalcy, I think we would be the front runner compared to the European US market of producing further entertainment content as well. Because we have the production capability, we now have the production infrastructure, we have the uh, go get it attitude beyond all the markets. I remember this, and I must say this, you know, when we used to work internationally during my early uh, years, we used to work 18, 20 hours a day, which you go to any other global market, they work by the shift, right? They work six to eight hours and mm. that's a break. Mm. They don't work beyond 10 hours. So, so those strengths actually hold us good in certain of setting up the benchmark. 
So in terms of the opportunities that exist, according to you in the IP space, and you mentioned that the entertainment side would be at par uh, post the pandemic world and in a couple of years. Uh, do you think there is still space for creating IPs, uh, unique ideas, like you mentioned, unique proposition uh, in the Indian space? Absolutely. If constructed well, if constructed well with the right uh, commercial aspects, there's a huge market still out there. If you look at it, right, right from uh, the earliest awards, which have been going on for 25, 30 years. Today, if you look at it, every day, there's probably an, if, if not one award, at least multiple awards happening every day in our country. Today, virtually, but very soon it'll all be physically, right? Just like how weddings are happening in the country, right? Every day across. So IPs has the potential to continue to grow further. And, and it, it is proven numbers that it will be the probably one of the largest churners of uh, monetization for a business. If done well and correctly. Okay. Okay. And when you say there is, you know, Apple opportunities, do you spot sector, Shaju, what kind of areas would be interesting? Would like that be dance? Would that be, um, you know, and IP in construction, like what areas do you possibly foresee? See, if, if you look at it, anything which is experiential, it provides a opportunity, right? I mean, we all know about uh, IPs in the music, uh, feature film lifestyle space. I mean, today the digital world is where everything is, right? If you look at the classic Filmfare Awards over the many years, mm -hmm. for the first time they've actually introduced an independent awards for the OTT space, which happened earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So any possible business vertical has the opportunity to create it into an IP, whether you call it, and an IP is not just what you call an entertainment consumption. It can also be an exhibitional IP, right? Look okay. at the number of exhibitions which happen in the country. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's back again. I believe the ASTEC uh, exhibition which happened at uh, Goregao, I think a couple right. of weeks back, was one of the first uh, live walk-in exhibition which kicked off. And I believe it had a huge footfall. It was almost packed for those three to five days they did it. Yeah, for sure. So according to you, then it would be getting down to commercials, right? Uh, obviously the idea uh, would be taken care of in some form or shape in the past. Like you mentioned, if there's already an awards existing, uh, the, in terms of innovation, it might be very less, uh, but you mentioned experiential experiences that would make the bigger difference. And it could be a similar idea as well. Absolutely. In, in the same vertical, you can always improvise over what is your offering versus the other IP in the same scale. But like I said, you need to find ideally brand partners along with you because most IPs which now come in experiential trying to bank their revenues or inflows on ticketing. I always recommend that try and make it into a 50-50 opportunity of revenue where you have certain amount of funding from a brand partner. If required, make that brand and partner in your IP as well like the classic NH7 Bacardi, right? Number right. Bacardi NH71, right? The, the brand was with them from day one or the Lakme Fashion Week agenda. So there are so many such classic cases globally where, where the brand comes in both either as a partner or an IP partner or both. It kind of tends on a long-term basis. And then find other alternative revenues, whether it's ticketing, whether it's F&B, whether it's merchandising, it's going to be very, very, very big in the years to come will bring in your additional revenues and your plus. For sure. And I think merchandising uh, is, like you mentioned, going to be massive. Uh, do you think there are some brands or properties which are smartly leveraging merchandising as a space? Huge. Definitely. Like, like if you look at it from, a, from the sports sector, from the lifestyle sector, there are, there, there are the big numbers are coming from event merchandising or, or brand merchandising across. Look at IPL as a brilliant example, right? Who would have thought that we being in Mumbai would support a Chennai Super King or, 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 a, or you know, Punjab Kings 11. So the kind of stuff which is happening in cricket will trickle down to whether it's an ISL football or a Kabaddi or other forms of entertainment where merchandising will be a big revenue churner for the promoter. Interesting. Um, mentioning about sports, uh, you are now in sort of a sports event management business, if I can say that correctly. Uh, so instead, I would I would prefer calling it the uh, sports education uh, vertical as education <laughs> because okay. because I think the business would come subsequently in, in in years to come. But what I'm doing right now is actually I've tied in with uh, a, a friend's institute. 
IISM, International Institute of Sports Management, run by uh, very, very dear friends, Nilesh and Rasika Kulkarni. It's a 10-year-old uh, institute with a legacy right. of training sports managers. Right. And uh, what got us going is that Nilesh wanted to set up a postgraduate program in sports event management which is, let's say, the space where I come from. And I've always loved sports. I'm passionate about most sports of this world. And, and I've done many uh, uh, very interesting sport events as well. So I said, let's combine our forces and, and set up this 11-month course for budding sports event managers who would probably change the paradigm of setup in a country. Because I strongly feel that sports and sporting events is the, is the new sunrise industry for a country. So we started this course uh, last year during during our virtual uh, phase of lockdown. And uh, this year in August slash September will be a year two where we'll be actually going back to our classroom and we'll be set up out of the Institute in Andheri East. Interesting. So with the advent of, you know, properties like the Pro Kabaddi Leagues, um, are there and what are uh, the other avenues that you are able to foresee in the sports IP space? You know, innumerable. So, so like we s spoke about it in our sports event management curriculum, you know, that it's not just about events. It's, it's about talent management in sports. It's about merchandising in sports, about broadcast in sports. It's about technology in sports. It's, it's multiple avenues where it will come in. So it's not just about the leagues which are coming. It's also about the conventional events which are handled across the national games, the Kelo India games, global events which are happening, right? I mean, assuming FIFA, is going to be on schedule for Doha or the, or the, the Olympics are going to be scheduled, right? In this year, as right. we are hoping for Tokyo, right? right? So, so expertise will be required, not just from the host country, but from, from a global point of view. I remember when I was part of the Commonwealth Games, I in fact went back to my uh, associate with Krav. I spent four months in Delhi uh, as a consultant producer on the ceremonies of the Commonwealth Games. Awesome one of the most iconic events again of our country where we, we had experts flown in. There was a team of around, I think, 10 or 12 international consultants who came on board because of their experience of being part of Olympics and Commonwealth Games. And we learned immensely from them. Now that experience is what we like to share with budding sport event managers, and then they take the flag to the next level. So with the kind of, uh, you know, uh, projects you mentioned and the avenues that could open up, uh, I want to circle back to EVC. You mentioned particularly that you look at year one and whether that's sustainable. So was EVC sustainable in year one? Uh, yes and no. So, so from a, from a positioning and from a brand point of view, it went right up there. I mean, I think we won a few awards as well as, as, as debut, uh, IP and event. From a PNL point, we, we had uh, contrasting thoughts, me and my partners at that time. And, and I had my thought very clear that it had to be a sustainable PNL from year one. They thought otherwise. <laughs> but, okay. if, but if we were able to hold on to that event at that location, definitely it would have been. But unfortunately for us, the, the venue went into a kind of a little issue, if you know for a point about it, right? right. right. And, and we had to look at a shift in location. And unfortunately, the moment you take out of the magic of that event from that venue, like I said earlier, it, it couldn't be a festival. It, it, it wasn't built to be a city festival, right? And uh, when the moment came to Mumbai, I said, this won't survive. And, and that's pretty much what happened. I'm hoping we can bring it back to a destination festival and Shoen and me do chat about it sometimes that maybe we'll revive it someday, some year. <laughs> Let's hope for it. That's, uh, I mean, that's always a North Star, right? You want to revive a property which you're so passionate about. Yeah. Fantastic. I have to ask you this, uh, because I belong to this space so closely, uh, as an anchor myself, uh, you have also come across a multitude of them over this long, long illustrious journey of yours. Uh, what really, according to you would make an engaging anchor and engaging MC? So you're saying that what's that strength? Yeah. So what are the things that according to you would make a great MC, a great anchor, a great host? I think the, the impromptuness of it, you know, you've got to be able to think on your feet for any situation and any action, because as much as I'm able to give you a script or as much as you've read about the brand or the client or the event at a particular moment, are you able to handle that situation? 
so so the way the ability to able to handle a second of an impulsive situation to able to handle the situation to able able to handle the customer or or any such thing which comes up is is the highest ability then of course i mean you have to have a lively character you need to know and intellectual understand is fine but yeah i think that's the first one i would say able to handle a situation so in uh when when there are so many sectors that uh the indian business events ip business would cater to uh would you recommend someone to go niche on a particular sector so for example someone would be let's say a wedding specialist someone let's say would be uh, a talk show specialist someone let's say would be just corporate events so do you think that would be uh, an interesting positioning to do or maybe according to you one person could do multiple things you are saying from an mc's point of view is that your question mc's perspective yes yes when 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 you look at that talent what would you really think of i would i would reckon that you know a specialization always helps you know you need to pick a vertical as your core it's it's great to be an all rounder but very far and few are able to excel that through right i mean just as sounding you off like in a cricket team you know you ideally would want to be an opening batsman or a middle order batsman or you would be a seamer or a spinner yes you definitely need all rounders in your team right and that's a core but very far and few are able to come out excellent as an all rounder so i would reckon you should specialize in at least a vertical and then try and explore the others and so, and not and sorry if i may add not just just the live and space tomorrow or forget tomorrow even now it's all virtual right you 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 could graduate to become a a host on on a broadcast event or or, or a webcast event like what you're doing right now right hmm, hmm. so it's it's innumerable the way the opportunities open up for you so the transition that happens from live events on stage to going on screen now when i say screen i do not mean the virtual screen that we are currently living in uh, i mean to say actually on screen whether it's an ott or whether it's like a television screen um there are transitions that people end up doing right and in terms of skill set the television hosting or doing something on ott do you think the skill set changes because you've produced films you have been in the entertainment space and associated with the film business too uh when you see talent switching uh i'm sure there must be innumerable instances but what according to you uh would be those elements that someone should keep in mind whoever is listening of transitioning let's say from the live events on stage to the broadcasting medium i think understanding this the the sector or or your audience as well right because each requires its its certain aspects right and when you're in a live event you're connecting with the audience live out there right you're one on one with somebody the moment you're on you're talking to the camera you need to figure out your emotion connect as, as completely different because somebody who is watching it on an ott or or a television channel is not with you 100% how are you able to grasp that person's uh, attention with something you say or something you emote as well right so if you're able to get that tact in then then you're out there in in a good way like i, I remember a very dear friend gitika ganjudar she's done mm-hmm. a, a multiple uh, rounds right from an mc where she started from then she had a break and came back again right she, she's 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 on the other side right she's going to feature in a film soon which is in production so i think it's about grasping that vertical and then be able to okay can i switch myself to this particular setup and how do i mold myself in just like what you're doing right now right i mean a year back would you have known that you would be on to an audio setup or or you know the virtual events hosting space hmm. but the moment you figure out that this is what i need to know like when you're when you're hosting a virtual event hardik i'm not sure about what you're wearing below the belt but above your your speak and span in what you have to look at right <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's a different discussion. <laughs> But to answer the question, that to answer the question, I do ensure that I'm on point even below the screen as well. So that possibly rests the case. But I completely understand where you're coming from. I think I think uh, the part that gets seen gets highlighted. Visibility. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, when you know you've you've done these multiple things. Now when you come to movies uh, and and financing them. Uh, is that something that you want to keep doing is that an avenue that excites you uh what are your thoughts on that 
so uh, even even the business of films came to me in a flow like i said right i mean when i was consulting with uh, sahara group on their entertainment business i was part of the core team overlooking the television and motion picture business for them and at that time i remember they came a movie called wanted with salman khan it was a monica mm-hmm. production and i wasn't so sure about the content of that film but i remember telling the promoter then that i think let's figure out how to reach out to the audience with with the with the uh, crazy energy and magic of salman right because i'll tell you something and i've always said this sharuk khan is a super marketer he knows how to reach out to his audience one on one whether it's through a, a camera or whether it's in person and and salman had not done that till then and 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 thankfully with all of us put together our thoughts that was the first feature films where salman went out to every possible promotional event that film i think was probably one of his first super hits in his comeback and since then he's not looked back so that gave me an avenue to that feature film business of marketing from marketing i kind of graduated into being a associate producer and a co-producer i just loved the journey right it's finally about what you do for those 2 hours or 2 and a half hours on screen which you kind of build up over maybe sometimes 6 months and sometimes 6 years right mm-hmm. i love the journey but like i said if i have to be on to it i have to be on it full scale and full time i i did about three productions and i said hey maybe i'm not probably set right now to be on it completely so i kind of stepped out of the feature film production and focus back on the ip business of live events but once in a while i do keep getting projects to kind of associate and work on which i still continue to do but my focus is now gone into the ott space so a couple of years back we started work on an original series which we were working closely with uh, roy kapoor films for geo studios and that has led on for me to con- continue working on uh, development on a couple of ott series the feature film business and space i will definitely come back on so i'm curious to understand shaju uh, these multiple areas that you keep on dabbling with uh, how and i mean how, how do you end up segregating areas that are of interest or priority uh, opportunity like how do you how do you segregate them i'm i'm curious to understand what's your thought process here so 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 my core and my first love will always be the live space right the live events and experiential space so i i wake up with the core of that okay that's that's me that's my bread and butter that's my life and and in the last year and and the start of this year i've kind of been able to kind of say that okay i also have the audiovisual space which i kind of refocus my life or my week to whether it be a content agenda whether it be production or whichever and the new space which is the education i'm slowly but surely going to put certain time and effort in that because that is clearly a long term goal for me where over the next two decades or more or until and time when i'm here on this planet i will continue to specialize in in the space of education so i kind of break down my week or my day into that okay these are the three verticals and i give it enough time to be able to work on those now when you say education is something that you are passionate about and you want to keep doing uh, do you genuinely feel that there is um dearth of quality events uh, you know experiential education in our country oh definitely i mean it like it's it's still at its nascent in some form right it's what 30 years of our industry in terms of its its start point to growth uh, it's only about a decade now that you know we've had institutes for event management or experiential marketing and it's still far and few in between so definitely i think we need many more uh, vocational courses and setup to kind of set up a strong sense of you know uh, well educated event manager or even producers or experiential marketers as well so when you say uh, well educated uh, the industry right like i think the barrier to entry is fairly low right uh, in in many of the cases not everyone is going out seeking for your qualification when you come in with uh, or looking for a job right um, but are you trying to sort of create an ecosystem where uh, education becomes the primary uh, route of getting a job in the industry okay so 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 let me clarify when i said well educated i i meant by in the vocation which you want to so for example and and if i may say this uh, when when prospective students or professionals go to these courses or these institutes it's about you know they want to get that certificate and and probably get onto an opportunity what we are trying to do at ism with our courses that give them an equilibrium of uh 
in room class training as well as practical training so if you do not get your basics right if you do not get your grounding and a background to what the abc's of uh, whether it's sports event management or event management right when you go out to intern or work on projects you'll not be able to reach that pinnacle of what you want to do so that hmm. was my definition of you know uh, well educated make sure you get your grounding your foundation right before you step out into industry because we've seen very very i mean i i still get resumes of people say you've done you know 20 and 30 events and i said okay how many days did you spend and they said oh we were a volunteer at anyway so that for me is not education you know if they have not spent enough time in class where the faculty or the experts have come and given them the the learnings if they're not been given uh Uh, case studies of what others have excelled and not just excel what others have failed at actually you know if you don't hear uh, and listen to their failures you'll not be able to kind of be prepared for what to do when that hits you at a particular event or situation so you mentioned failures right so i think that's something that i wanted to touch upon a little while back to why you know your your content uh, space has been out there in in for everyone to discuss uh, your successes of public literature but what are these uh, these attempts that did not become successful uh, things that really sort of made you step back and question yourself i think i think the the key failure sometimes is about not holding ground you know putting your foot down and say if this is not done in this particular manner we should not proceed so the classic example of couple of the ips right where why didn't they not sustain because probably there was a difference of thought amongst you and your partners and you say okay let's go with the flow and let's see so def for definitely one learning which i think is something i should have done is that hold forth and put your foot down on something you strongly believe and stick to it you might as well take another 6 months or if required another 6 years but when you put it out make sure it's 100% there the way you like to the other huge failure which more so from an industry point is that you know the, the negligence of safety and security we do multiple events across right and uh, i mean if i may refresh what we spoke about like our job akin to a pilot and like you or or like you said the surgeon's manual right where hmm. it's it's a life and death situation but let me tell you hardik any event manager's role is also akin to a life and death situation whether it's a small 50 guest event in a banquet hall or it's a 400000 audience in a concert or a kumbh mela you have every probable situation of something going wrong which could be tragic so if the particular management or the manager is not ticking those checklists you are looking at inviting trouble and i've had a couple of such failures where things have gone wrong from an overlook point of view and it has and I, and and we have instances right where we know it has led to casualties as well so those are the learnings where you then come back saying hey i will never let this ever happen at any of my events or projects as well do you think these are the kind of experiences that shape you into the professional that you are today oh for tr- true for that for sure because you know when when your failures come in right that's what grinds you to make it better and best the next time around because you know success is good and easy and like i said it's it's in a, in its true crisis you are able to kind of excel at what you do so when you come out of it well you say okay that's good let's do it better next time you know one of the things that often comes uh, in conversations and particularly during uh, the pandemic and the webinars and the virtual sessions that kept happening is that the events industry in india uh, has still not achieved an industry status right in the eyes of the government um, and a lot of uh, artists felt crippled you know due, given the situation that they felt uh, lack of resources opportunities income and stuff like that uh, what are your thoughts on this like what's what's stopping uh, from giving the kind of recognition the industry deserves the employment it generates the revenue it generates for the country you know i am as uh... Clueless as to what you were saying that you know why has not been given any an industry status because if you look at it, our our billion plus population cannot live without entertainment at least most of it right I mean whether it's form of feature films or television or OTT or live events right and every possible brand or product or industry wants to be connected with the entertainment business whether it's from a talent point of view or from a production point of view. and what happened last year was we were probably on the first to shut down right the entertainment business the live events business right. were the first to shut down and will probably be the last to open up yep 
and and people look forward to the experiences of the entertainment business right they want to they want to kind of consume it so i'm hoping and wishing as much as you are that we we get that industriators we get the backing of the government and the authorities which i'm sure with the efforts of our peers and colleagues from the industry and and ema's efforts that slowly but surely and steadily we will be there we will get there very very soon i'm wondering shaju that you know what could be the reason is it the lack of government exposure is it the lack of proper representative voice uh, because we have a small part of the industry which is very well organized um, and a large part remains still unorganized the smaller players the mid sized players holding fairly well for themselves but uh, the organized space is somewhat lacking is my limited understanding what are your thoughts on this uh so, so i've had a thought over this for so some years now you know uh, our representation is via body which is essentially event managers and uh, some talent right adik right uh, but guess what the biggest talent or the biggest superstars of a country who go out there globally and to, to name them whether it's the sharukhs and salmans and amir khans or or uh, you know you call them arijit singhs and the sumiti chavans and all the primary revenue for them comes from the live events business if i may right why can't they be part of our representation as well i i'm hoping for a day when all these names and more can be part of our representation if they can be part of ema or or a setup or a body then i don't know if the government authority can ignore that plea or that uh, status requirement right because i do remember uh, hearing a few uh, interviews of sharuk that he does features for his passion and obviously i mean there is some monetary but his primary revenue used to come from dancing at events hmm. so why can't we get a cumulative uh, talent pool in of each and every person who's benefit or who kind of runs their ship or runs their life from what we produce and let it be one big pitch to the concerned authorities that hey this is who we are so it's not just about event managers or wedding managers or you know uh, let's say basic talent it should be each and every one who benefits from us that's a great hope to have and a wonderful north star to strive for thank you for joining us on jamster's podcast truly a pleasure hardik it is i think a fantastic initiative uh, what you guys are doing and more power to you If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, make sure you subscribe on EPLog Media website or your favorite podcast streaming apps such as Apple Podcasts, Jio Seven, Gana, Spotify, and more. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, do rate and review Jamsters as it helps other people to discover this podcast. And for suggestions, feedback, or ideas for me, follow me on Instagram at the rate Hardik Devedya or on Facebook at Hardik Devedya. 